You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And so that night, we wrote on a cocktail napkin, we will be the number one restaurant in the world. One of his quotes that I love the most is, adversity is a terrible thing to waste. I started wondering, what if unreasonable hospitality is taking these little problems and solving them through generosity? For sure. I, I, I believe some of the best business lessons come from life lessons. Dear young married couple, did you ever think that you could look to the number one restaurant in the world to learn something for your marriage or even for your life in general? Well, today you're in for a treat. We're going to be talking to um, a man who took a restaurant to become the number one restaurant in the world. And he's going to talk to us about how important generosity is, not just in your marriage and relationships, but also just in life and in business. Yes, so we are talking to none other than Will Gadara. He could be named the number one restaurateur in the world. And we're excited to share this interview with you. It, his material has impacted us and our team here at Dear Young Married Couple um, so in business and leadership. But um, these principles are totally applicable to your relationship as well. And we're looking forward to seeing what you get out of it. Yeah, you're in for a treat. Welcome, Will Gadara, to the podcast. We're so honored that you're with us today. Okay. I'm so excited to be with you, sincerely. Aww. Well, we're excited that you uh, made a way in your busy schedule to be with us. And yes. We've, uh, we've been a fan ever since we saw you speak at Entree Leadership Summit mm-hmm. in uh, Orlando, Florida. It was an excellent time. Yeah. So when we went, we, um, you know, we went with the intention of building our leadership skills and, you know, we saw that there was a restaurateur on the, on the agenda and we're like, huh, we're not in the restaurant business. You know, we didn't even think of ourselves as a hospitality business. We thought wrong, but we, you know, we were like, this will be cool. We'll just, we'll go and listen. And it ended up to be one of, if not our most favorite talk at this retreat. And um, we ended up assigning the replay to all of our uh, employees to listen to. Wow, you guys are so kind. I really appreciate that. There were a lot of amazing speakers there. And so that, that, that means a lot. Well, we appreciate you. We want to dive into uh, your story so that our audience can hear, like, why is this applicable to a marriage podcast? Hmm. So take us on the journey of not just 11 Madison Park, but starting um, with your your journey at the beginning. Yeah, so I, I, as you said, I'm a restaurant guy. Um, and, I, and I've been one my entire life. I grew up in restaurants. Uh, my dad was a restaurateur since I was a, a little kid. Um, 
and my mom was also in the hospitality business. She was a flight attendant uh, with American Airlines a long time ago. And I don't think I talked about this at, at Entree Leadership, but when, when I was about four, my mom was really good at her job. She was always like the first, this is back in the day when they were called stewardesses. This is like the bad old days where, where <laughs> yes, like flying was a much more pleasurable experience, but the way that they were treated maybe wasn't so great. But uh, she took it really, really seriously. And when I was about four, she dropped a cup of coffee in first class a couple times in a row, which was alarming enough for her to see a doctor. And she was diagnosed with brain cancer. Um, which they, they operated on. They removed most of the tumor, but then they needed to use radiation treatment to get the rest of it out. Um, this is also back in the day when radiation treatment wasn't so good. And that ultimately right. rendered her into being a quadriplegic by the time I was about 10 or 11. Wow. Um, and I, and I, I share that not <laughs> for the, the, the sadness of it, um, I think like most things in life, good things come from even the most severe doses of adversity. Absolutely, so it made an impact on you. Well, it made an was... impact on me for a few different reasons. One, <clears throat> my dad and I obviously like had to be a team, right? Mm. Um, and we became closer than ever before. And he became my hero. A, he was always pretty amazing, but B, I watched him like work 14, 16 hours a day, take care of my mother every morning, also take care of me. He, he wore the hat of both the father and the mother. Um, yeah. And it was because of that reason that I just wanted to be like him. And so it was very early in life that I decided I wanted to go into the restaurant business. But wow. it was also through my relationship with my mom that I learned at an early age what it meant genuinely and fully to be of service to another person and how good it felt to be able to play that role for her. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so I like to tell the story because I think it's funny in its commentary about the intensity of my dad that when I was 12, he said, Will, it's time for you to come up with your three goals in life. Um, which felt premature to me at the time, but my dad's all about intention. And I think intention is a through line for the entire book because, well, intention is everything when it comes to pursuing relationships with other people in work yes. or in life. Um, Absolutely. But I, I said three things. I want to go to Cornell to the School of Hospitality. I want to open my own restaurant in New York and I want to marry Cindy Crawford. <laughs> um, and, and I got the first two. Um, and I think I, I honestly did even better on the third. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. That's good. And, and so that's how it started. And then wow. sincerely, because I knew what I wanted to do at such an early age, it's all I ever did. Um, mm. Outside from one summer working as a camp counselor, I've worked in restaurants since like the age of, well, I grew up going to work with my dad, but I think my first right. proper job was at a Baskin Robbins when I was 14. And, I love it. And I never looked And back. a camp counselor was much like a restaurant in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that at times you're serving unruly customers. <laughs> right. Oh, that's awesome. Who don't tip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
Oh, so then uh, tell us how you ended up taking um, the ownership of 11 Madison Park or was it were you a manager or owner at the time when you took it in 2006 in 2000 in 2006 so I was working for a guy named Danny Meyer um, okay. who anyone who's listened to this that is into restaurants probably knows who's Danny is he's one of the great restaurateurs he has an amazing book um, called setting the table um, which was the first book that showed how lessons in hospitality or from our industry can be so applicable to other industries oh, and nice. and certainly was an inspiration to me as I was writing mine. Um, and I love Madison Park was one of his restaurants and he asked me to go there to take over as the general manager. And I was there for about four years um, until I had the opportunity to buy that restaurant from him. Okay. And when I got there, it was it was a popular restaurant, but it was kind of like a, a mediocre middling brasserie, but in a room that is like one of the more iconic dining rooms in New York City. And we had this shared vision that the restaurant experience deserved to live up to the grandeur of the room. Mm. Um, and... And we kind of just got started right away in in the beginning, like unilaterally focused on on excellence, right? Like when you're trying to make something better, excellence is the first pass. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that's improving training or getting new fancier plates and glasses and silverware, or um, you know, removing seats that you can provide a better experience for less people, etc. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it was worked. this part of your was this part of your like dad's training of like all right son what are your three goals for this <laughs> restaurant? I mean for sure like yeah when when I first got to the restaurant um you know there, there's there's a very distinctly different approach to leadership when you're taking over a business that's already in operation versus when you're starting one from scratch. I bet, yeah. Um, I always like to say in, in the former case, which was the situation I was in in Love Medicine Park, it's important to ease into the pool without making a wave, right? You can't, you can't walk in. And, and I feel like too many people make this mistake because they feel this responsibility to show their worth on day one and start enacting grand changes that show their brilliance as a leader where as I think the most brilliant thing you can do is just let a season or two pass such that you fully understand where something is before you try to identify where it needs to go from there. Mm. Um, Smart. There is so much wisdom there. Yes, (laughs) for sure. I mean, that's Uh, good for like church leadership. Even we have a lot of conservative Christian folks that listen to our podcast. And I think a lot of them could, listen to that piece of advice when they go into a leadership role or buying a business yeah like, that applies so broadly yeah for i sure. mean it, it also <laughs> it's a lesson that i had to relearn as a husband where you know when someone comes to you and they're having an issue your responsibility is not straight away to try to fix it sometimes you just need to spend time trying to understand it and maybe Amen. your role is never to fix it. Maybe you're just there to listen. And maybe that's all that is desired of you. And don't make a wave. 
<laughs> By all means, do not make a wave. Um, but so once I was there for a little while, um, and I did have a good enough sense of, of where things were, we did start to make changes to, to yeah. the effect of the ones I was talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. And over the course of the years that followed, um, we started really growing in the right direction. All the awards mm -hmm. that you could get in America, whether it was four stars from the New York Times or three stars from Michelin or all these James mm -hmm. Beard Awards, the James Beard Awards are like our Oscars. Yeah. Uh-huh. When and did then, you first start getting the Michelin Star Awards? Um, it was probably, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fast forwarding the story because I was there for 14 years uh, mm -hmm. before I sold the restaurant, but probably about five years in was when we yeah. finally started kind of, you know, one of the things my dad would always say to me is like, aim for the stars, mm -hmm. but understand that getting there is going to take time. It, it's another thing that I think a lot of people in the next generations have a hard time understanding that if you want to accomplish anything of, of real significance, it takes time to do extraordinary things. That's um, right. Yeah. It's true. And intentionality, like you said earlier. So tell us about the, the top 50 list. That was <laughs> such a goal in your mind. Uh, and take us on that journey from 2010 up to 2017. Yeah. So in 2010, we got a letter. And, you know, back at home, we were feeling ourselves pretty hard, right? We'd, we'd won all these awards. And we got this letter. And... It was from the 50 best restaurants in the world, which is a list that had started years earlier. And it was the first list that really kind of ranked every restaurant across the globe up against one another. And it said, you've been added to the 50 best list. And I mean, you know those moments, the things that happen when you can remember exactly the environment around you when, when, when those moments happen, that was certainly one of them. Um, and so we went to London. We, we got on a plane. We went to London where the ceremony was and mm -hmm. um, put on our tuxedos. I've always loved wearing a tux and, <laughs> and went to the ceremony. Now, this is how it works. If you're in the room, you know that you are one of the 50 best restaurants in the world, but you don't know where on that list you stand. Okay. Um, and you and your business partner were there together, right? Exactly. The two okay. of us were there together. And you get there and there's assigned seating. Um, and so me always trying to figure out how a system works. Once there was assigned seating, I figured, okay, our seats must be <laughs> like somewhat indicative of where we are on the list. And so I guessed we were going to be number 30 on the list. He has always been a bit more optimistic than, than me. He guessed number 24. And I'm sure there was some amount of like preamble and all this before the award started. But all I remember now was, this debonair Brit who was emceeing the event saying, and to kick it off at number 50, a new entry from New York City, 11 Madison Park. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't wonder very long. Oh, oh my man. gosh. And so I like just, I like, you know, obviously super disappointed because yeah. I get it. Perspective is what it is. We were on the top 50, but in that room, we were in last place. Now, what I could not possibly have known because it was the first year we were at the awards and we were the first restaurant called was the reason, the real reason they give you assigned seating is that when they announce your name, they can train a camera on you and project your image in front of the entire room. 
um, which is and what was on that screen, Will? <laughs> I mean, just us looking like disheveled and disappointed. That's supposed to be the moment where you fake a wave, no matter how thrilled you are by the result. And I elbowed That's my so partner. Good. We looked up. We tried to muster a smile in a wave, but it was it was too little, too late. Yeah. And uh, we did as people would do in moments of profound disappointment. We left the party early, went back to our, our hotel, and we went through all the stages of of depression, um, grief. anger, grief, bargaining, until we finally got to acceptance. Um, here's the thing. It's it's profoundly ridiculous to say that one restaurant is the best restaurant in the world. That list, what it does is acknowledges the restaurant that's having the greatest impact on the world of restaurants at any given mm. time. And the more we processed our disappointment, the more we realized that we were a great restaurant. Mm-hmm. We had an amazing service. Our room was beautiful. The food was delicious. But, but we hadn't done anything to change the conversation. When we looked at the restaurants that had topped that list, it was a restaurant in Spain that had like innovated this idea called molecular gastronomy, which has changed the way people all over the world cook. Or there was a restaurant in Copenhagen that had like really pioneered the whole idea of like local ingredients and foraging for the things that you eat. And that changed how restaurants all over the world worked. Um, We hadn't changed anything yet, but I was excited about the idea of making an impact. Mm -hmm. Um, the point of my dad's intensity one of the things he gave me when i was a kid was a paperweight um, that said what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail and his whole thing was that too many people are, are scared to answer that question honestly for fear that if they do and they don't achieve whatever the answer is they'll let themselves or the people around them down but yeah if you have the courage and conviction actually try to do whatever the honest answer is even if you don't achieve it you'll get a whole lot further down the road by virtue of having tried Mm -hmm. um and so that night we wrote on a cocktail napkin we will be the number one restaurant in the world um but i added two more words below that sentence on the cocktail napkin which came to define everything else we did going forward see the people that had topped that list at that point did so by focusing on what needed to change within the craft of cooking. Um, And I believed, I mean, they were unreasonable in their pursuit of of what went on the plate, how every ingredient was cooked and presented and sourced and all of that. I decided that night that I wanted our impact to be on focusing on the one thing that would never change, which is the human desire to be taken care of. started developing this thesis then that if we could be just as unreasonable as chefs were with what they put on the plate as designers were like Steve Jobs was with the iPod or Scorsese with the films he made, if we could be just as unreasonable as all of them were in pursuit of how we made people feel, in pursuit of giving people a sense of belonging, in pursuit of making them feel seen, in pursuit of giving people genuine connection, in pursuit of making people feel welcome, that was the impact I wanted to make. Mm. And so underneath, we will be number one in the world, we wrote down two words, unreasonable hospitality. I love it. That's visionary to have come up with that direction, like really on the eve of your 
<laughs> what you thought well, was, was your it, greatest you loss, it? Right? Like loss, right? It was an achievement, yeah. but but a loss in your mind. Well, you know what? Like, it was a loss in, in our mind, at least in that moment. My dad, mm-hmm. you'll find I quote him often. Um, one of his quotes that I love the most is, adversity is a terrible thing to waste. Mm. Um, and so good. to be very clear, that doesn't mean something bad happens to you, you just jump right back up and you get back to work. That's unhealthy, actually. Right, right. I think when something bad happens, you should give yourself some amount of space and grace to fully feel the weight of the disappointment. Yeah. Mm. But while you can't control the adversity that comes your way, you can always decide what you do with it. Mm. Whether you let it fuel your competitiveness, whether you you find a lesson that can change your life within it, whether Mm. you just um, use it to fill your gas tank Mm. and and that moment most certainly did all of those things for me. Wow. That's so beautiful. So tell us how you implemented this new ideal into your restaurant. I mean, you know, it's funny. Like how I just described unreasonable hospitality. Sounds cool. It doesn't mean anything until you actually start putting it into practice. And Right? What does that look like? And sometimes, and I, I do believe this, you can have a goal without initially fully understanding what it means. I think that's okay. If you feel connected to an idea enough that you want to start pushing towards it, you're going to, you're going to define it along the way. Mm. Um, You know, we went back to the restaurant and I started initially looking at all the little steps of service. That's what we call in restaurants, the myriad of things Mm -hmm. that happen from the moment you walk in the door until the moment you leave. And we started changing them, you know, like when you walk into a restaurant, you walk up to a podium, which is basically like a big credenza with a computer on top of it. And when the person that's there to welcome you, the person that's there to like connect with you first has a literal physical barrier in between the two of you. Mm-hmm. And they ask you what your name is. They look down and they blue hair of an iPad in their face. And then they turn to their colleague and they say, take it to table 42. Like everything about that <laughs> is, is transactional. Yeah. And very and so off-putting like, if you think about human behavior and our needs. Yeah, for sure. Right. And so like my, my first pass was how do we get rid of everything that feels transactional? Nice. And so we got rid of the podium, which required a very complicated method of how that person actually knew who you were and where you're supposed to go without the computer screen. But mm-hmm. um, interesting, yeah. Sometimes one of the one of the chapters in the book is relationships are simple, simple is hard. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah, you had to think through so, it and actually come up with a yeah. solution. Yeah. But it, it, it's not that hard. It's just, you just have to try harder, right? Yeah, like, it's like most things in life. It, like, just because you have to try harder to accomplish something, it doesn't mean it's hard. Yeah. Hard for me is no matter how hard you try, you can't figure it out. Right. Something that just requires you to try harder, that just mm. means like, okay, like, like man up and get in there and figure it out. If it's, if yeah. it's important to you, you will put in the work. Mm-hmm. Mm. Good. Um, or we just got all the computer screens off the dining room floors that you weren't seeing anything technological or we started handwriting checks. You didn't have that ugly printout at the end of the meal. Um, 
Mm-hmm. One of the ones that I actually I love is the check. The moment where you receive the check at the end of the meal is a very, very challenging moment for a restaurant. <laughs> Most people don't realize this, but <laughs> for the following reason, if you have an amazing meal and you ask for the check and it takes too long to get it, like time starts moving at a glacial pace the moment you <laughs> ask for a check. True. And, and generally you're asking for the check at eight o'clock when your server is really busy, right? So, um, and yet at the same time, if you drop the check on someone's table before they're ready for it, they feel like you're trying to rush them out. And so I started wondering what if unreasonable hospitality is taking these little problems and solving them through generosity. Um, Mm. And so what we would do is we'd handwrite the check. And when we knew people were done with their meal before they asked for the check, we'd bring over an entire bottle of of whiskey and a couple glasses. And we put the glasses in front of each guest and we pour just a splash of whiskey into each glass. And then we'd leave the bottle on the table and we'd say, hey, this is with our compliments. I'm gonna leave the bottle here, have as much as you'd like. And by the way, the check is over here whenever you're ready for it. Mm. Now the check was there, but no one could ever think we were trying to rush them out when we gave them an entire bottle of liquor. (laughs) Brilliant model. And so- And it costed you something. It wasn't just a, a free generosity. It was actually, it costed you something. There, there was a cost to us, and and sometimes when I talk to people in business, they're like, well, how, what's the return on that investment? Mm. And I would say, well, A, we solved a problem, that's, that's a return, but too often in businesses, people manage the things that they can measure, and just because you can't measure exactly what a return is, it doesn't mean it matters less. In fact, in many cases, it means it matters more. Mm. Um, but the the real breakthrough moment with unreasonable hospitality was one day I was uh, in the dining room helping the servers on a busier than normal lunch service when I found myself clearing appetizers from a table of four foodies who were in New York on vacation on their way to the airport after their meal to, to go back home. And I overheard them talking about all the amazing restaurant experiences they'd had they were naming these restaurants. And then one of the guests jumped in and said, yeah, but we never had a hot dog from a street cart. And <laughs> there's like one of those moments in the cartoon where the light bulb goes off over their head. Like they've yeah. come up with a really good Bing. idea. And this is a fine dining restaurant, right? So I like as calmly as I could walked into the kitchen to drop off their dirty plates and then ran outside the front door down the block to the hot dog cart on the corner, bought a hot dog, ran back into the kitchen and um, we plated it. We cut it up into four perfect pieces um, and added a little, we made it look really fancy, like a swish of ketchup and mustard and perfect little scoops of sauerkraut and relish. And before <laughs> their final savory course, which was a honey lavender glazed Muscovy duck that had been dry aged for two weeks, we brought them <laughs> what is fondly referred to in New York City as a dirty water hot dog. <laughs> Um, Dirty water hot dog in a three Michelin star restaurant. (laughs) And I explained it. I said, hey, I want to make sure you don't go home with any culinary regrets. This is a street hot dog. And what did that do for them? I mean, they freaked out. Like at that point in my career, I had served hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of food, like all the fanciest stuff you can imagine, like Wagyu beef and lobster and caviar. And no one had ever responded to anything I served them like they did to that hot dog. 
Because um, what know, was it, Will? It wasn't the food, but what was it in that moment? Well, you know how like, athletes go to the tapes after they've had a bad game to see what they could do better. I don't think they often enough go to the tapes and they've had a good game to see what they did well mm. to make sure they keep on doing that thing. Mm, nice. And so I did that. Um, and I, I believe it came down to three things. Okay. And by the way, I'm so happy to be on your podcast because my book is about, it's about hospitality and most of the people I'm talking to are in the world of business. Right. But hospitality is just being intentional in your pursuit of relationships. And that yeah, applies to life. Well, more. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because it takes you out of the transactional approach. And people are so done with that too. Exactly. People yeah. want relationship. They want belonging, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And if you have that, you'll win in business. For sure. I, I, I believe some of the best business lessons come from life lessons. And mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, if people in business focused on every relationship with the same rigor that yeah. hopefully we all try to approach our marriages with, mm-hmm. that'd be a different world. So, Amen. And so these three lessons, I, I do think apply in marriage quite a bit as well. Yeah. So what were the three things in that moment you learned? And we'll get right back to the interview. But what we want to do is make you aware that we have a resource around this whole subject of talking with your kids about sexuality. And it's called Having the Talks. And in Having the Talks, we address things like homosexuality, transgenderism, but even just the basics of sexuality, like anatomy and identity. Um, We start the whole deck off with identity. And it's a resource for parents and children to play together. You can play it like a game. And it helps children as young as age three, all the way up to teenhood. There's um, really two decks in one because we have questions for younger children. And on the other side of the card, it's a question, same question, but for older children. Yes. And this deck is designed to really bring these subjects up um, organically so that you can um, really have this discussion with them and, and open a safe place for you to be an askable parent. So you could go to havingthetalks.com and get your deck and um, it will actually reroute you to Amazon and you can get it tomorrow. Next you, day shipping. Yeah, if you ordered it today. All right, link in the show notes. Back to the interview. Well, so first, being present, which is an overused concept these days. But for me, being present just means caring so much about the person you're with that you stop caring about everything else you need to do. Um, and it's essential with unreasonable hospitality. I think so often we wow. have these long to-do lists and because we're so preoccupied with them, we're never able to slow down for long enough to actually listen to the people around us. Mm. And if I had been present, I never would have heard that throwaway line about the hot exactly. dog. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, the second was take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Um, <laughs> I think this is the case in customer service. I also think it's the case in life that when you look at people's Instagram accounts, like so often we let our self-imposed standards stand in the way of us being everything that we are and giving the people around us the things that will make them happy. So good. 
Um, Because they could have rejected the hot dog in your mind, in your mind's eye, like, oh, they, they... may hate this you know mm-hmm. i remember a three michelin star restaurant is this what a three michelin star exactly. restaurant would do right right um i think people overanalyze things to the point where they end up like missing out on so many opportunities to bring other people joy like to be clear a street hot dog and a new york city like gonna find it's it's sacrilegious right but <laughs> but look at the way it made them feel exactly yes hospitality isn't about serving your ego. It's about serving the people you're trying to extend it to. Mm. Um, and, and third, it, it, I mean, that thing worked because, listen, if, if what you're trying to do is give people a genuine sense of belonging, if what you want to do is make people feel seen, then one size fits one. I believe I could have given that table a free meal, a, really expensive steak, you know, really nice bottle of wine. And it would not have had the same impact as the $2 hot dog because it would not have been specific to them. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that. You completed their trip. Mm. Yeah. Every, I mean, literally they, each one said it wasn't only the highlight of their meal, but of their trip to New York. <laughs> and, and by the way, like when I talk to people, I'm like, well, you were an expensive restaurant. You could afford to do that. I'm like, Hey, the hot dog costs $2. It, it, and that's the thing about unreasonable hospitality in life and in work. It's not about the cost of the gesture. It's the way it makes someone feel. Mm. Um, so good. So h- tell us about some more unreasonable hospitality experiences that you like, had after well, that hot dog. Once the, once the light bulb went off, it was probably like game on. Like, what can I, you're, you're probably intentionally always listening and looking and trying to figure out a way of delighting people. For sure. Well, yes. And the next step was getting a team on board. Okay. Um, Making waves. Well, one of my, for- the, Danny Meyer, I was talking about my, my old boss and one of my mentors, he always says hospitality is a team sport and it's true. Mm. Like I'm only one person. I'm not making memories for very many guests on a nightly basis. The entire team needs to embody the idea. That's right. And so we started talking about it all the time and we got started right away. We were doing little things here and there, but we, we wanted to do more of it. And here's the thing about restaurants. It's not like there's like a bench in the back with like five people sitting on it, waiting for an errand to run to come up with a cool idea. Right. Um, and so it, like, listen, if something is really important to you in life or in work, you need to invest in the resources to make it happen consistently mm-hmm. enough. Whereas the impact you want to make it have. Um, yeah. And so we added a position onto our team, someone whose only responsibility was to help everyone else on the team bring their ideas to life. That's uh, so cool. I uh, love it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we called the position the Dreamweaver, um, <laughs> named after the iconic song by Gary Wright, which has a very special place in my heart. It, in the spirit of relationships, it was the song that was playing the first time I kissed a girl. Nice. Um, and with the addition of that position, like we were... It was like full throttle and we did so many different stuff. Um, so many different things, you know, like there was uh, a couple that was in the restaurant consoling themselves because their beach vacation flight had been canceled and they mm-hmm. snagged a last minute reservation. And, so sad. Um, 
at the end of their meal, our private dining room is free that night. And so we turned our private dining room into their own private beach. We put a ton of sand on the ground and a kiddie pool in there. Um, so cool. And we served them Mai Tais or <laughs> um, a guest warned us in advance that his dad was more of like a Budweiser steak and potatoes kind of guy than Sauterne and foie gras. And so the Dreamweavers turned our fancy champagne cart that we used to roll around into the restaurant into a Budweiser cart, complete with every available type of Budweiser at every bodega in the neighborhood. Um, so you had this person on the team, the Dreamweaver, that would go run these errands or go facilitate the exactly. purchase. And it had to be quick because it was while people were dining. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a long meal. It was like a three-hour meal by that point. But, but still, like, and I mean, I'll, I'll tell you one more because it's the one I like to say the most because it, it was just such a special moment. There was a family of four from Spain in the restaurant and the most beautiful thing started happening. The kids were like staring out our massive windows with wonder because it had started snowing and it was the first time they'd seen snow. Uh. And so the Dreamweavers found somehow a store still open at eight o'clock on a Friday night selling sleds. And when they left the restaurant, they were greeted by an SUV to take them to Central Park to go sledding. Oh. Um, here's what's so cool about that. And by the way, we did thousands and thousands of these in the years that followed. Um, the guests were obviously happier than ever before, but but so was our team because for the first time they had creative autonomy. Mm. They, they weren't just serving plates of food that someone else had created. They were actually able to come up with their own ideas and those ideas were impacting the experience that they were serving. Yeah. Um, it's almost like we were turning um, like salespeople into product designers. And, and I can't think of anyone that won't give more of themselves to deliver an experience when they have a hand in creating it. That's um, it. Yeah, that autonomy is so valuable. And you talk about return on your investment. No, you can't measure that, right? Yeah. But that's what makes it so much more valuable. You see the impact, you feel it. It well, and like their days were different. Like it's fun to be creative. And perhaps most importantly, it just feels really, really good yeah. to make other people happy. And like, your turnover probably went way down. Way, way down. Way down. Yeah, we, sure. We like to say that in hospitality, it's like you have a pitcher of water and your life is spent pouring water into other people's glasses. So if you're not super intentional about how you keep your pitcher full, you're going to run out of water very quickly. Mm, um, so and these gestures, like there are a few things that can more quickly fill your pitcher than seeing the look of complete joy on someone else's face when they receive a gift that you are responsible for giving them. Mm -hmm. um, you're just delighting them. And it's, how did you start taking this concept from your restaurant into your personal life? Like with your friendships, your marriage? I mean, like you just start doing it, right? Like it's almost like once you, it becomes an addiction. <laughs> um, like I'll give you an example. And this is one of the things that I, if we're talking about relationships, I, I hear so often, and I, I used to do the same thing, someone's 10th anniversary or 
and maybe they're they've been lucky enough in their life to have a lot of money and the thing they buy their wife is like a really expensive necklace from Cartier um, or a nice handbag or something. And I, I did that once too. I, for my anniversary with my wife, I saved up and I bought her a necklace from Cartier and it's like one of the littlest ones they sold, but like I was, I wanted to give her that red box. Um, and she liked it fine. Made her happy for a moment. But a couple of years later, around this same time, you know, we live in New York City and we get the New York Times and she loves the crossword puzzle. Um, my wife is, is very determined. Uh, she loves, she's, she has her own company. She works all the time. And in the, in the New York Times Magazine, eventually though, they started this new game and it was like something between a crossword puzzle and Sudoku. Okay. Um, I never played it, but she fell in love with it, like fell in love with it. And it, it was to the point where for the hour that she did that every week, the like it put the world on pause for her. It was a really beautiful thing to watch happen for her. And then two months later, I guess she was one of the only people that liked that game because they canceled it. Aww. Um, <laughs> What unreasonable hospitality means is finding every single email address you can find at the New York Times, emailing every single one of them, getting more email addresses, emailing them until eventually you find the person that created those puzzles and paying them a few hundred bucks to write you another 50 puzzles and then going to the local staples and binding them into a little book so that she gets another year worth of those puzzles. That is so precious. And ah. man, I'll tell you what, that that had a lot more mileage for me and my marriage than that Cartier <laughs> necklace. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> what was her response? I mean, she loved it because she felt seen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. In I, each of these scenarios, right? The person yeah. feels seen. They're like, oh, you know me. You get me. And you care. Yeah. You chose to take action after knowing me. And that's what this book is about. It's, it's me trying to encourage as many people as possible. Everyone's passionate about something. And people are unreasonable in their pursuit of that thing. Yeah. And it's me asking people to look at the important relationships in their life and try being just a little bit more unreasonable in their pursuit of them. Mm -hmm. um, the good news is you get as much from doing that as you give. And it becomes the situation, especially in a marriage where if both people are doing that from one another, you're never gonna run out of water because both people are pouring each other's pictures into the other person's picture at the exact same time. So and it gives you perspective too. Like it's probably easier to have grace in your miscommunications or, you know, statements that were said that weren't very mindful or, and, and you go, wait, wait, I know their intention for me. Mm -hmm. I know that they want what's best for me because they 
they do serve me unreasonably. They have this service toward me that I feel on a regular basis. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're right. I mean, <laughs> we all do stupid stuff sometimes. We make careless errors, right? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Having, like, having a track record of caring and investing mm-hmm. and being unreasonable in pursuit of one another to lean on and in this it builds equity yeah (laughs) sometimes you need to spend time building relational equity um Mm. and not that we should start keeping track of it or like managing closely those accounts but but if all your if your resting state is to continue investing in that account you're probably going to be okay Mm. that's good i love that so tell us what this journey did and maybe like how you uh, maybe had a better uh, outcome outcome yeah from the (laughs) first time well that first time was 2010 did you get invited back will we got invited back we went from 10 (laughs) to number 24 to number 10 or i'm sorry 50 to 24 to 10 to five to four i forget where it happened we were in the top five for a few years and then in 2017 we made it back to that restaurant they started at 50 didn't call our name all the way down to 15. i like to say i blacked out for the next uh 10 or so restaurants and <laughs> finally when it came to the last two restaurants they announced the number two restaurant it wasn't us and, and we had become the number one restaurant in the world your dream was realized yeah and you know the dream it wasn't just the accolade um where i where i realized that the dream had actually been realized was when i started going to restaurants and seeing people do similar things Mm. Um, you wanted that impact you wanted to say we changed something in the world of hospitality yeah, we in in some small way we made our impact, and yes, yeah, and that's that's the coolest thing about making your impact through hospitality, through kindness, right? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. Everyone can make an impact on the world by doing that because the moment you know what it's like to receive unreasonable hospitality, you become so much more inclined to turn around and want to pay it forward and give it to other people. And I genuinely believe we can make the world a better place just by being really unreasonably kind to everyone that we come into contact with, because it has this exponential title effect on the world. And, um, And that, and by the way, just to say it again, like that is not just a work thing. I think it's perhaps most importantly a life thing. That's Mm. right. And it's what makes work not just work. Mm. When you care about the relationships, those you come in contact with at work and those you serve. Yeah. Well, it's incredible too how it turned really good to great. Mm. Yeah. And maybe that's what a lot of people are just missing. They have a good life. They maybe have a good marriage or good relationships around them, but they're maybe not great. Yeah. And by the way, like, 
I get that. There's a lot of people that don't even have a good thing, right? And so like when you get to yeah. good, it's like, right, I'm good. It's easy to chill. Yeah. yeah. But, but my gosh, I, one of the things I would say is service is black and white, hospitality is color. Um, when you add this, maybe you have a good life, but like it shifts the entire thing into technicolor. Mm-hmm. It's like that, that, that scene from the wizard of Oz, like where it's just, it's just oh, there gosh. and it's happening. And yeah, there's so many bad addictions out there. This one's a pretty awesome one. <laughs> this is a, this True. is a, this is one that's going to bring so much joy and life and color. I love yeah. that. I we, love that. We actually, after we listened to the replay of, um, or had our team listen to the replay of your talk, um, we started a line item on our budget called Unreasonable Hospitality. <laughs> and oh, the team has we had did. so much fun with it, just delighting people, whether they're clients of ours or not. They're just finding couples that and people that we serve through social media or clients and just delighting them with that line item in our budget. And it's... It's so fun, much fun to see them light up, to see our team members light up because yeah, they uh, have that autonomy too. Speaking of lighting up, the people listening to this can't see my face, but it's just lit up to hear that story. So thank you for sharing that. That was a gift. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a gift you gave well, to us. Well, that's a, that's a gift exactly that you gave to <laughs> us. So thank you. All right. So we've been alluding to it. You have a book and it's coming yes. out October 25th, which is Octo- the day that we're releasing this episode. Oh, so amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's called Unreasonable Hospitality, The Remarkable Power of Giving People More Than They Expect. Um, so cool. And, and it really outlines a lot of what you've been sharing, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's filled with all the lessons I've learned about learn uh, service and leadership when you approach them through the lens of hospitality um, and it's told through the narrative of taking love madison park to the number one restaurant in the world i've read a lot of leadership books or yeah. relationship books and I, i've learned so much from so many of them some of them though are quite boring and i felt like if right. it's a book about hospitality the book itself needed to be hospitable and so the narrative <laughs> hopefully That's makes good. it a quick read um, awesome. where i can trick people into learning a few good things along the way <laughs> well the narrative is what makes your story and the lessons that you share so intriguing well as your mind is listening as you're listening to this sort of thing and you're reading it so many ideas are probably going to come to your mind because mm-hmm. everybody has opportunity in their life to be unreasonably hospitable to the people mm-hmm. around them. Yes. And if they can really like sink their teeth into this, it's going to delight everyone. That's right. <laughs> so we're going to link your book in the show notes. So folks, if you, we recommend it, go get this book. We don't have it yet, but we heard the talk and we're going to go get it as soon as it's available on October 25th. Um, so we'll link that in the show notes for you. And you also have some cookbooks available too that you've, you've done over the years. Is that right? Yeah, I did a bunch of cookbooks. Um, I live in Madison Park. There's a couple cookbooks there. The Nomad was one of my other restaurants. We did a cookbook for that. Nice. Um, but you know what's so fun about this is cookbooks for fancy restaurants are like brochures a little bit. Like they're beautiful design, these gorgeous objects with beautiful photography. Um, I've never had, I've never felt more engaged in a book than I did. And writing this one. Aww. I love it. It's way different. Yeah. yeah. 
That's so cool. Well, we are going to close out this episode the way that we close out all of our episodes. And that's by asking you this question. Rewind back to the first couple years of your marriage and ask yourself, what advice do I wish I would have received? And then fill in the blank, dear young married couple. Hmm. Dear young married couple. Marriage is a practice and you need to decide what your practice is. And one day you're going to talk to someone who's been doing it successfully for a long time. And they're going to tell you what their practice is and you're going to adopt it. (laughs) And that practice is to, to wake up every single morning. You don't need to say it out loud but to actively choose your person. And that's not gonna happen for a few years and your marriage is gonna be so much better once it starts happening. So let's skip past the few years and start doing it now. (laughs) That's fantastic. That's good advice. I love it. That's an Instagram postable piece of advice. (laughs) Choose your person. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for taking the time and blessing us with all of the the experiences and knowledge and wisdom that you've gleaned over the years. Yeah. It really is going to make a difference and it will continue making a difference. Yeah. We love your stories and we're grateful for the impact it's already had in the few months that we've been implementing your approach and we look forward to, it is addicting. We look forward to just growing it. So yes, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. You, you've, you've certainly filled my picture in this conversation and I hope to, that our paths cross again in the not too distant future. Absolutely. Thank you, Will. Thank you. You rock. Bye guys. All right, friends, we really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week.